Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Longing to leave her poor Brazilian neighborhood, Christina, we'll call her, wanted to see the world. Discontent with a home having only a pallet on the floor, a wash bin, and a wood-burning stove, she dreamed of a better life in the city. One morning, she slipped away, breaking her mother's heart. Knowing what life on the streets would be like for her young, attractive daughter, Maria, Christina's mom, hurriedly packed to go find her. On her way to the bus stop, she entered a drugstore to get one last thing, pictures. She sat in the photograph booth, closed the curtain, spent all that she could on on pictures of herself. With her purse full of small black and white photos, she boarded the next bus to Rio de Janeiro. Maria knew Christina had no way of earning money. She also knew that her daughter was too stubborn to give up. When pride meets hunger, a human will do things that were never before unthinkable. Knowing this, Maria began her search. Bars, hotels, nightclubs, any place with a reputation for streetwalkers or prostitutes. She went to all of them. Each place she left a picture taped on the bathroom mirror, tacked in a hotel bulletin board, fastened to the corner of her phone booth, and on the back of each photo she wrote a note. Well, it wasn't too long before both the money and the pictures ran out, and Maria had to go home. The weary mother wept as as the bus began the long journey back to her small village. It was a few weeks later that young Christina descended the hotel stairs. Her young face was tired. Her brown eyes no longer danced with you, bespoke of pain and fear. Her laughter was broken. Her dream had become a nightmare. A thousand times over, she longed to trade these countless beds for her secure pallet. Yet, a little village was, and in too many ways, too far away. She reached the bottom of the stairs. Her eyes noticed a familiar face. She looked again, and there on the lobby mirror was a small picture of her mother. Christina's eyes burned, and her throat tightened as she walked across the room and removed the small photo. Written on the back was a compelling invitation. Whatever you've done, whatever you've become, it doesn't matter. Please come home. At that moment, Christina came to herself. And without a moment's hesitation, Christina made the long journey Home. Home. As I was thinking about this story and I was pondering it, you can feel the intensity, you can see and you can feel the weight of of Maria, the mom with the heart breaking, her daughter's going out, she wants to see the world. And at the end, she finally came home. It reminded me, guys, of another story. Another story is actually found in Luke chapter 15. You know this one quite well. It's the story that we call of the prodigal son. But really, it's a story of two brothers. Now, for the sake of time, we're just kind of read through, make a few comments, but I want to bring this story. If you want to get there, you can. If not, you can just listen up. Luke's Gospel, 15th chapter. Let's recount the story. Picking it up in verse 11, remember, Jesus is speaking, and he says, Then he said, A certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me a portion that, of goods that falls to me. So he divided them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered together, journeyed to a faraway country, and wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Stop right there. You know the story. 
The younger son says, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me what is mine. He takes what is his. He has a garage sale liquidation, and he hits the road, and he says, it wasn't too far that he, what, wasted his living with prodigal living. He wasted his possessions, guys. He was the guy giving it all away. But when he had spent it all, there arose a severe famine in the land. And this young fellow began to be in want. And when he went in, he joined himself to a citizen of that country. And guess what he did? He sent them into the fields to feed swine. Not a good job for a young Jewish boy to be around swine. What job? What can I have? I can work at the Walmart. I can work. Listen, I can do drive through at McDonald's. No, 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 no. Those jobs are taken. You're going to go out and you're going to take and you're going to feed swine, right? And so that's where he finds himself. He had all of dad's money. He had all the money in the world and he's out living the vida loca. He's going nuts and he spends it all, realizes there's a famine. Guess what? There he is again. And so there he is with the pigs. And verse 16 says that he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. Do you guys realize where he is right now? I want you to feel the weight of what, what Luke is saying. This guy's hanging out with pigs, and he's wanting to eat their food. He's so hungry that he's looking at the food, the slop and the sludge and everything that comes with pig food, and he's going, man, I'm hungry. I'll eat that. I will eat. You know what? Well, the pigs, you know them, right? They ain't gonna, they're not going to give up their food for nothing. You can't get in there with pigs when they're eating. And so he's sitting here going, what is going on? Where has my life gone? And the Bible says, but then he came to himself, much like Christina, and he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to eat and spare, and I perish with hunger? I know, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, quote, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, cuts him off, notice, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring out the fatted calf, kill it. Let us eat and be merry. Why? For this is my son who was dead and is now alive again. And he was lost and is now found. And he began to make merry. Now, part two. Now, the older son was in the field and he came and he drew near the house. He heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked him what these things meant, right? So, hey, what's going on at the house? What's going on? I hear music, and it's pretty loud, and we're not talking karaoke. I mean, it sounds like the band is there. What gives, right? And as I draw it, and I don't know if you can hear dancing, but apparently he sees them dancing. I mean, he's like, wow, this is crazy. And he asks the higher, so what's going on, right? I mean, what's going on? And, and so notice... He said to him, your brother has come and he has received him safe and sound. Your father has killed the fatted calf. But the older son was angry and would not go in. So he gets up to the porch, guys. He crosses his arm. He says, I'm not going in. What does dad do? Dad says, listen, um, but his father came out and pleaded with him. And he answered and he said to father, lo, that was a sign of disrespect. These many years I have been serving you, and I've never transgressed your commandment at any time. Yet you never gave me a goat that I may make merry with my friends. 
But as soon as this son of yours comes, who has devoured all your livelihoods with prostitutes, you throw him a party. You kill the fatted calf. And so the dead said to him, son, you are always with me, and all I have is yours. It was right that we should make Mary and be glad. Why? For your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. Your attention, please. This is the same story we see. Many stories we hear over and over. The prodigal son leaves. He realized he's had a big mess up, but he was always welcome home. It gives us a beautiful picture of who God is when we mess up, when we make mistakes, and how we come to ourselves. And it's a beautiful picture of repentance and how we come running back to God. You see, a lot of people will say, no, no, no. See, God stands there with his arms crossed in judgment. And when you mess up, he's going to come. He's going to shake his head. Nope, no entrance for you. And yet this is quite the opposite, quite the contrary. God stands with his arms wide open. As a matter of fact, it says that the dad, probably drinking his coffee, was looking I wonder if my son's coming today. I miss him so deeply. I wonder if he's dead. I don't, haven't heard from him. Oh my good. Wait. Wait, I see something. Could that be? Are you kidding me? Throws the coffee and he runs to see his boy, to see him alive, little tattered, little worn, dirty, smelly. But nonetheless, where he, he didn't say, where you been? Where you been? Listen, when you get cleaned up, then we'll talk about some stuff. Didn't say that, did he? He comes to him with just grace and he hugs him and he says, My son has come home. My son has come home. Church, tonight, I want to talk to you about coming home. As a matter of fact, if you're taking note, I've entitled this message, Please Come Home. For tonight, we discover in Psalm 23 that this is the most beautiful song of trust that David ever sang. You see, David right now pictures the Lord Jesus as a great shepherd, one who not only provides but protects for or protects his sheep. Now, Ben, are you kidding me? Psalm 23, please come home. What is the reason behind this? Well, the reason behind me calling Psalm 23, please come home, is actually found in verse 1. You see, the Bible tells us that that David writes, the Lord is my shepherd. Everybody got that? And then he goes on to say, but I shall not want. And you go, what does that mean? That That phrase, I shall not want, has several meanings. But what he's really saying is, I will put my trust in God. Think about this, okay? I want you to say that. You can say it out loud. You can say it in your mind. But you go, I, that's what he's saying. The Lord is my shepherd. I will put my trust in in God. Listen, so many people are wandering in this world and they have not fully placed their trust in God. Oh, oh, church, listen to me. They may stand up and they may say it. You've heard me say this a thousand times. There's a lot of people out there that will claim Christianity, but they have no clue what it means. And you go, what do you mean? How are you going to get to heaven? Well, I've put my trust in Have you put your trust in God? And a lot of people will do that. You see, the psalm is a psalm of homecoming of sorts. For you see, listen to me, once we understand trust, once we get it, then we can truly rest and be at peace, and then we're home. We're home. I want you to picture the Christian life, and when you understand that you've fully put your trust in God, that's when you can say, I'm home, because nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. Now, listen. 
I've got to set this up, okay? Because you're going, Psalm 23, trust, home. Pastor, help me out here. Okay, before we jump into the text, guys, let me give you some background in the psalm, okay? And then we'll, we'll dive in. Psalm 23, okay. Church, listen, listen. We live, if we're honest, in a world in which many, if not most people, are engulfed in fear and anxiety and worry. Amen? Some fear the future. They're freaked out. They don't know what tomorrow's going to hold, right? They fear the future. They're anxious about what's going to happen. And it can be from the littlest thing to where am I going to go to school or what's going to happen or, or who am I going to marry or what, you know, am I, I mean, whatever it might be. And so they're really anxious about the future. Others fear the past. And they're really anxious about what has happened to them. And still others fear even the present. You see, anxiety has gripped their souls, and they cannot imagine how they can cope with the ugliness of present circumstances in their lives. But let me say this to you, okay, church? Thousands of people each day wake up with untold burdens to bear an anxiety in which they must deal with. You see, a lot of us get up in the morning, we go about our busy day. Oh, I got to do this, got to do this, got to do this. Oh, I've got to do that. Hey, make sure you do this before. And we are oblivious to those around us who are waking up every single morning exactly like the text said. There are untold burdens and anxiety, and they're dealing with that every single day. And so, of course, I'm wondering, are you one of these? Bearing secretly a heavy burden or worry or stress. You go, well, Ben, what's, what's, what's the opposite of worry or anxiety? Well, if you're taking note, jot this down. It would seem to me that the opposite of worry is simply learning to be content. Learning to simply, or, or simply learning to be content. And here's what I want you to jot down, church. Listen, the fuel for contentment is trust. The fuel that you put in your life for contentment is trust in God. Well, this psalm is a great song on our playlist about a great shepherd who loves and cares for his sheep. And yet so often, many, many people will do this, guys. They'll primarily use this psalm for funerals. If you go to a funeral, people will often play Psalm 23. But here's what I want you to keep in mind. Keep this in mind. Verse 6 reminds us of what Jesus does for us all the days of our lives, not simply in death. It's so much more. Okay? Here's a nugget of truth we need to capture. Here's a nugget of truth. Most people think that David actually wrote this song as a young shepherd boy lying on his back in the pasture, pondering the things of God, when actually, or probably, he wrote this song later in his life. And one possibility was given to us that he actually wrote Psalm 23 during the rebellion of his son Absalom. If you're taking note, you can look that up, 2 Samuel chapters 13 to 19. Can you imagine when David was under major stress is probably when he wrote this psalm. Can any of us relate? Can any of us, can, can we grasp this, right? Listen, your job isn't to go out and take care of sheep. 
If that, that's a peaceful thing, man. Hey, listen, I'll see you. I'm going to be out here with the sheep, right? No drama out here. Oh, except when an occasional lion or an occasional bear come, but I'll take care of that. But other than that, it's just me and little Pedro, you know, that's my sheep. And then we'll get a bunch of them and we'll just hang out. And David learned to just be content, to just be content. You see, we need to understand that David, guys, deals with some very difficult things he experienced along during his long walk with the Lord. You see, this psalm is really written to mature believers who have fought battles and carried burdens. Now, stay with me, okay? I need your full attention because I'd like to set up this psalm with another portion of Scripture. Okay, I want to set this up. I'm going to kind of give a little setup here. We know them as the Ten Commandments. Everybody familiar with the Ten Commandments? Maybe you don't know them. Maybe you don't even know they're in Exodus 20, but you sure seen Charlton Heston in the Ten Commandments back in the day, right? You saw that movie. It's on every Easter, which is, blows my mind. I don't know why they put the Ten Commandments on Easter, but nonetheless, they do. Well, in Exodus chapter 20, guys, we are given what we know is God's commandments to his people. You guys know the story, right? There's, a, there's 10 of them. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to listen and labor with me for just a moment, okay? Because I want to use Psalm 20 to set this up. Now, I'm, gonna go, I'm not going to go in depth with the 10 commandments. I just want you to listen. You know the Ten Commandments. He says this. The first commandment is number one. He says, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. And everybody goes, amen. Number two, you shall not make for yourself a carved image. What do we call those? Idols. Those are, those are one and two. You shall not take the name of the Lord God in vain. And sometimes we think of that as when we say we use the GD when we're, when we're steaming mad. And we go, oh, I use God's name in vain. A lot of times it's taking it in an irreverent way. Number four, he says, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. Number five, honor your father and mother, that your days will be long upon the land and the Lord God has given you. Number six, you shall not murder. And number seven, you shall not commit adultery. Number eight, he says, you shall not steal. Number nine, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Number 10, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. That's a good one. Nor your neighbor's wife. That's a good one too. Y'all don't be looking at your neighbor going, hey, I wish I, had, wish I was married to her. I mean, it's part of the commandment, okay? Or you don't look at his house going, man, I really wish I had that house. <laughs> That's true, your point. Okay, here's the setup. You ready? Martin Luther once said, and I quote, because the first two commandments deal with idolatry, the rest of the commandments can only be broken if you break commandment one or two first. Here's his argument. If you could steal, if you could dishonor your parents, if you lied about your neighbor, what Martin Luther says is that you've already broken commandment one and two, and you go, why? Okay, because you've already believed there was something greater and more valuable than God. He would argue that the root issue in you and me has to be solved with one, is solved is one of idolatry. But that's very interesting. That's very interesting, right? So 
what Martin Luther says, he goes, listen, if you go, listen, I stole something today. He says, you couldn't break that commandment without breaking commandments one and two. And it deals with idolatry, idolatry in the heart. Why? Because you've taken something that wasn't yours. Here's what you've done. You've already, and here's what he's telling us, guys. You've already, right, taken something and made it greater and more valuable than honoring God. You're like, wow. I thought, oh, oh. So when we look at the Ten Commandments and we say, okay, well, how about this one? You shall not commit adultery. If you commit adultery, you've already placing something of more value higher than God. Church, um, I was doing counseling, uh, premarital counseling last night, and um, I always tell the couple who's about to get married, and they look at me with the strangest looks. I said, listen, if you don't love God more than you love her, if you don't love God more than you love him, then there's going to be problems. There's going to be problems. And I go, love God. That has to be the case. Because listen, if I love my wife more than I love God, then I've already valued something higher than God. I've already valued something a lot higher. Now, if I value my wife more than I value God, then it's easy for me to break his commandments because I've already broken one and two. You guys with me? I'm setting you up. I'm setting you up to, to jump into Psalm 23. You're going, oh, I see. But if I love God more than I love my wife, it frees me up to enjoy my wife and who she is in her personality, in all her quirks, in all her silliness. I can enjoy them because I love God and, and she's not ultimate. He is. This is going to play out here in just a second. This is going to play out in a second. If you, it, the Bible says you shall not murder. Well, why is, why is murdering a, not a, it's, it's, it's not a good thing, right? Because we don't want to go around killing people. Amen? But think about this. The Bible says that you and I were created in God's image. And so when we take another life, you're taking You've already done the same thing. You've already what? You've already set something higher in value than God because you're taking somebody's life. Okay? So Martin Luther says, listen, you can't break the commandments until you've destroyed commandment one and two. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me, and you shall not make for yourself carved. You shall not have any idols. You guys with me? So. As we approach Psalm 23, we must consider that before we can own the whole psalm, we must conclude that we first should truly trust Jesus as our shepherd. You go, what do you mean? If we miss verse 1, church, then what happens if we totally miss that he is our shepherd and that, and that everything in him is taken care of, if you miss that, guess what you're left with? Well, then you're left with just slight trust for God to provide and protect. Well, I hope he does. 
And you're left with slight trust for what? Well, for some care and some nurture. I hope he will. How many times have we said, I know God can do it, I just don't know if he'll do it for me. Is that total trust? Or are you crossing your fingers and your toes that nobody knows about and you're hoping? If you have slight trust, then you're sort of even wondering about guidance and abundance. And so if we miss verse 1, church, if we miss verse 1 in Psalm 23, we can miss everything that David is writing about. So with that as our intro, okay, let's jump in to Psalm 23. But let me give you a little disclaimer before we jump in, okay? We're going to spend some time in verse 1. We're going to spend some time in verse 1, and then when we get it, when the light comes on, then what will happen, guys, is we will, be under, we will be able to understand the fruit of what it means to really trust their shepherd. Even in times of doubt or even death. You with me? So we're going to spend some time there. Psalm 23, verse 1. The Bible says, a psalm of David. Look at verse 1. David starts off and he says this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Let me give you some other translations real quick. The Good News Bible says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. The message says this, uh, God, my shepherd, I don't need a thing. The NIV says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Young Literal Translation says, a Psalm of David, Jehovah, my shepherd, I do not lack. Several translations. But here's my question to you, church. Feel the weight of this question. If the Lord is our shepherd, we have to ask one question. What does it mean, I shall not want? Or to put it another way, I don't need anything or I, what? Or I do not lack. What does it mean? What does that mean? If God is truly your shepherd, What does it mean, I shall not want? Here's what I want you to catch. As you think about that question, as you let it simmer in your mind, Philip Keller wrote a book called A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23, and here's what he comments, quote, It's a tragic truth that many people who have really never come under his direction or management claim that the Lord is my shepherd. They seem to hope that by merely admitting that he is their shepherd, somehow they will enjoy the benefits of his care and management without paying the price of forfeiting their own fickle and foolish way of life, end quote. You go, what did he just say? Another way of saying is this, that people are simply not trusting the Lord for all they need in life. And at the end of the day, they're hoping, church, for a few benefits that will make their life tolerable. It's going to get deep. It's going to get deep, okay? Because we're hanging out in Psalm 1. The Lord, the Lord Jesus is my shepherd. David, at this point, is walking by faith. Why? He's never met the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus is going to come through him, and he's never met him, but he's walking by faith. And he says, the Lord, everything in the Lord, I'm covered. I'm complete. 
I'm taken care of. Now, listen, listen. For you and I, when we're, when we're a young Christian, oh, yeah, I don't have anything, man. The Lord is my shepherd. I don't need anything. Mom and dad got me taken. I'm cool. I don't care what I... But then as we start getting older and we start getting responsibilities and then we start having trials in our life and we start having tribulation and your son goes nuts and starts rebelling against you, what is David going to write? David is the king. He has everything he wants, but yet he still writes, the Lord is my shepherd. Why? I shall. He could have said simply, listen, Israel, I am the king. I don't ever want anything. Listen, I just clap my hands and food comes. And I am the king. And if I want somebody to chew it for me, I'll, they'll chew it for me. You know what I'm saying? That's how powerful he is. And so David writes this at a time of stress. Now, I began to think of Psalm 1 as I was pondering this, and I began to ponder this Monday night, so I, I want to chat for just a moment, church. I began to think, Lord, why, why don't people, why don't they fully trust you, Lord? Why don't they fully trust you? Okay, now, now you got to stay with me, okay? There are people who will say, God, I trust you, but we know it's a slight trust, and they're hoping for just a few benefits that make life tolerable. You, you with me? They're just hoping, okay, well, I hope I can make, you've heard that, I hope I can make it through the day. It's not this full-blown trust that brings peace. It's just a slight trust that says, God, I just hope I can make it. And so I started thinking, why are people like that, Lord? Why? I mean, and again, all over the city, all over our world, why, are pe- why don't people trust you? Like, like, Lord, if you are the shepherd who guides and protects and you nourish, why are there so many anemic sheep? One of the reasons I found is because we only have a partial trust in God. And you go, why? Well, jot this down. It's because of our pains and our hurts. And it's usually a result of a counterfeit God. You go, what do you mean? Okay, stay with me. Okay, stay with me. In Romans chapter 1, we discover that man has the ability to reverse the creative order. You go, what does that mean? He says, all of a sudden, you guys have been worshiping the creature rather than the creator. You've taken something very good and you've made it ultimate, okay? You took God and you put him down here and you said, I'm going to take, and, and, and Paul talks about that in Romans, okay? They've reversed the creative order. When we do that, church, listen, when we take something good and make it ultimate, what have we done? We've created an idol, now, listen, let's, let's be straight in church, okay? Oftentimes when we think of idolatry, we think of some foreign nation where you're bowing down to this temple and you think of idolatry like that. But the problem is, is that Paul has already said, idolatry happens in our hearts and we don't even know it. And so the question again remains, why do people simply only slightly trust God? The Lord is my shepherd, I hope. I hope he's okay. I think I'm okay with God. And a lot of it has to do with exactly this. Paul says, listen, a lot of people have what? 
they have reversed the creative order and they have made people or things God. And you can jot this down. You've heard me say it a thousand times. People and things make horrible gods. Now, Paul goes on to write this. This is going to get deep, guys. You need to take notes. Paul goes on to write that in order to create an idol in our hearts, two things have to happen. You go, what's that? The first thing that has to happen is that we have to suppress the word of God. We have to suppress the truth in God's word. That's the first thing you do. And you go, what else? The second thing we do when we create an idol is question his character. Let me give you an example. Okay? Let's talk relationship idol. Let's talk relationship idol. There's a fellow by the name of Dick Kaufman who actually wrote this. So if you're thinking Ben is super wise, I'm not. I can just read. Okay? And he wrote this. He says, when it comes to idol, you can always start your sentence off like this. Life only has meaning and I only have worth if, and then you can jot down what you think life is only, only gives meaning, right? Okay? So if we're talking about a relationship idol, let's chat about that. Okay? Life only has meaning. I only have worth if the person I'm with only loves me and is in love with me. That is a relationship idol. You with me? This is called a surface idol. But think about this. If I have a relationship that's higher up in my valuing of God, then anything God would say about it makes it fall down a notch. You guys with me? So what do I have to do? If I go to the Lord and I say, okay, Lord... You've seen Nathalie, right? Ooh, she's a foxorama. I don't know if they say that anymore. She, like, she, let's see if we can embarrass her. She's so good looking. And God says, yes, Ben, she is. And I got her just for you. But you're, you've got a problem, Ben. And what, what, what's my problem, Lord? You're valuing Nathalie and your relationship above me. What have I done at this point? Okay, I've began to suppress the truth of God. Because God says, what? Exodus 1 and 2, you shall have no other gods before me. Paul says, don't reverse the creative order. God has to be number one. And so if I'm going and God says, and so I'm, whoa, 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 God, what? <laughs> time out here. What do you mean? Ben, listen, here's what you've done with Nathalie. You've taken her and you've made her ultimate. And the problem is, is Nathalie is a horrible God. She's a great wife. She's a great mother. She's my best friend, but she makes a hor- she's horrible at being a God. So I had to, what, suppress the truth. But now, what do I have to do? If I'm going to continue in this charade with God, I have to question his character. What do you mean? Well, God, if you're loving and you're all good, why can't I have her? Why can't I do this? God, listen, listen, that's not cool. That's not cool. I thought you were into relationships. I thought you, you, you made up the whole thing. He goes, I did. But the problem is, is that you've taken something, relationship idol, and you've made it. Now, you guys with me? Now, that's a surface idol. It goes way deeper than that. But here's what I want you to see. Here's what I want you to see, okay? We can do that with anything. You can do that with your kids, where you've taken your kids, and are kids a good thing? Oh, Pastor, they are great. I love my kids. But you can put them, and it happens very subtly. It doesn't, you don't, we don't wake them up going, okay, here are my girls, put them up. <laughs> Ultimate. 
it just happens. Always, there's always something in your heart for, for relationships or stuff or things to vie for position. And so all of a sudden, guess what? There they are. And so you go, okay, so I've taken my kids. I've taken my husband. I've taken my wife. I've taken stuff. I've, I've, I've done it with what? With career. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that we can do. But any time we allow a God in our heart, guys, two things have to happen. You have to go, Lord, am I suppressing the truth in the word of God? How do you know this? Because you stop reading God's word. I found a new boyfriend. You did? Oh, he's amazing. He's so cute and he sends me all these wonderful text messages. It's just so great. What happened to your quiet time? Oh, well... I don't have time for quiet time. I don't have time to read anymore. But listen, listen, we're going to get married someday. It's going to be great. The first thing we do is we suppress the truth in God's word. And then when God goes, hey, hey, this is not good for you. I'm going to what? I'm going to break this off. What do you do? You question his character. And you get mad at God. You get mad at God. And you begin saying stuff like, he can't be good if he wants to take away my idol. Okay, here lies our problem. You ready? Here lies our problem of trust. Here's what I want to get to. Let's say that we have a relationship higher in value than we value God. And that person who cannot be God always seems to break your heart, hurt your feelings, or put other things above you or before you doesn't consider your feelings, and always lets you down. Guess what? You now have a trust issue. You now have a trust issue based upon your hurts and your scars and the pain that this person or thing put you through. You're expecting... Anything other than God to be God, and, and they will always hurt you and break you and leave scars because they're not God's, amen? They're not him. Here's what you do. Listen, truth, amen? Here's what you do. You begin to act out because you, whatever you made an idol is not responding the way you think it should respond. And so you begin to get hurt, you begin to withdraw, you begin to, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. And what is the biggest thing that goes first? Trust. Well, I'm not going to trust my, I'm not going to trust my idol because my idol hurts me. My idol doesn't care about my feelings. Well, of course she doesn't care about your feelings because she's not God. I mean, in that sense of what you're wanting her to be. As a wife, she cares about your feelings. As your best friend, she cares about your feelings. As your husband, of course, of course, of course. But as a God, well, I think I, listen, I think, I think my woman, she should be into me 100%. What have I done there, church? I've made her ultimate, haven't I? And then when she's not into me, guess what happens? She didn't text me. 
She hadn't texted me at all today. Wait till she gets home. And she gets home, right? And she's like, la, la, la. Hi, was your day? And you're like, you didn't text me. What's the matter? You don't love me? I mean, we, we, right? Why? Because, because we're wanting her to be what only Jesus could be. And here's what you find in your relationship. We're talking about relationship goals. Here's what you find. You ready? You find that there's no peace or joy in it. So that's where, that's where our trust breaks down. See, you have a trust problem based upon your hurts and your scars and the pain that has purchased you. So then here's what happens, right? So then God steps in, and what does he say? Trust me. God says, trust me. And you go, oh. And God says, listen, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And your normal reaction is this. The person I can see who I made ultimate hurt me and let me down. Now God steps in. I can't see him, and he wants me to fully trust him? Are you kidding me? Then what? Then the, the what-ifs happen. You guys know what I'm talking about? Ever have the what-ifs? God says, hey, trust me. I'm your God. Fully tr-. And the what-ifs come in, and you go, well, what if God hurts me? What if, what if Jesus breaks my heart? What if he's not there for me when I'm crying out to him in my moment of need? What if he's silent when I'm praying and I don't hear anything? And what if, and what if, and what if God abandons me? See, then my partial trust, or then my trust is partial because of the hurt I allowed my idol to cause. You guys tracking with me? That's where the hurt comes in. Well, here's my encouragement to you. It's time to come home. It's time to come home. You go, what do you mean? You need to surrender that trust, and you need to surrender that trust to him. And when you do, when you fully grasp it, when the lights come on, when you go, oh, my goodness, listen, listen, they're surface idols. And then there's source idols. We can sit here and go, hey, your favorite football team, that's an idol. And everybody goes, ha, ha, I'm wearing my favorite football jersey. That's a surface idol. There's something deeper that goes in. You know what I'm saying? A a source idol is going to be deeper when all of a sudden your team doesn't win and you don't talk to your wife for a whole week. And, and and, And you think it's normal. What happened? Team lost. I don't care what it is. Basketball. I don't care what it is. You see, it's deeper. It's deeper. And so all of a sudden, guys, all of a sudden, the Lord says to you, I need you to surrender completely. I need you to come home. I need you to come home. And a lot of us come to God and we go, oh, I, I, partially, I partially trust him. But when we understand that he's the shepherd and that you don't need anything because you get God, the benefits from God are amazing. Okay? So let's say for the sake of our study, all of you go, wow, I get it. 
I've been partially trusting the Lord. I have taken whatever it is off the throne. Jesus, you are back on the throne. This flood comes in with joy and peace. And now you go, I get it. Why? Because notice the benefits. David got it. Let's see if you get it. Psalm 23 verse 1 says, The Lord, oh, he's my shepherd. He's going to guide me. He's going to protect me. He's going to love me. Oh, it's going to be good. And he says, I shall not want. I don't need anything. When we fully trust the Lord... We get these awesome benefits. You go like what? Look at verse two. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Your attention, please. I get the fact that David was a shepherd and he was leading sheep and he did that. He led him by the grassy. But now all of a sudden, it makes much more, more sense to us. Why? Because I understand what he's getting at. I trust him completely. I don't have to know every step of what's going to happen in the next few weeks or months or years to know that I trust God. Trust is a hard thing. Trust is a hard thing because it takes you to the place where you have to surrender everything and everyone. And the Bible says that when you get it, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Just think of this wonderful green grass and think about it as it tickles your feet as you walk in the sunshine of God's perfect love. It's a peaceful by the river of the water of life and the flow of God's grace satisfies my thirst and fills my heart and soul with the desire to love him more and more each day. Guys, you have this unbelievable peace and joy because it's not about people or things anymore. He's giving you relationships, good thing, and you can enjoy them all the more. Why? Because they're not ultimate. He's giving you food, right? Let's just talk food. Some people take food and they make it an idol. They, they say, Lord, this is amazing. Here's what food is supposed to do. He gave you, listen, let, can we shoot straight, right? God gave you taste buds. He made food good. He gave us, t- I mean, if he didn't want us to be, if he didn't want to make food good, he could have just gave us like, 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 like eating cardboard, right? I mean, he was just like, ah, it tastes like cardboard. Now, some of your cooking tastes like that, but that's a whole nother story. But he gave us taste buds, right? So what are we supposed to do with food? Food is simply what, Lord, thank you. When you go out and you have a great steak or whatever you like, you can praise the Lord because of it. Right? How about how about this? How about sex? How about say, oh, I knew he was going to talk about sex. No, think about it. God created sex. He made it beautiful. When we make it ultimate is when it destroys us. And married couples don't even realize that they can go, Lord, thank you so much. We prayed before. It was wonderful. And thank you, Jesus. Because the world has made it dirty. And guess what? We've pulled all of that into the world and went, ah. But it's God's idea. He brings peace. Look at verse 3. He restores my soul. He leads me where? In paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And here's what I love. I have faith in the Lord, a trusting faith that he will bring me peace even after bad, thing ha- bad things happen. Why do you think David wrote this? Solomon was going nuts, right? I mean, I mean, sorry, Absalom was going nuts. And he wanted to take the kingdom in a bad way. 
And David goes, you know what? I have trust in you, God. Even after some some bad things that happen, I trust that you're going to protect me from those who want to hurt me. And he will always be our guide and seek justice. And then notice what he says. He leads me where? In paths. He's always guiding us down that path. That is a benefit of trusting him completely. In life, but also look at verse 4, guys. Jot this down. In death. Why? Because he says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Church, your attention, please. How many times have you heard people freak out Christians about dying? They're scared. And, and here he says, listen, when, when, when I walk through that valley, he says, I, I'm not going to fear because I don't have a partial trust in you. I trust you completely. And you're with me. In my hope, church, in my life and in your life, is that, is that in those final moments, you have this amazing peace on you and you've heard it. You've heard people, they actually say, I see Jesus. Nathalie's grandmother at the, at the tender age of 95 before she passed was crying out to the Lord. She saw Jesus. She said it in Spanish, but she kept crying out to him and it was, it was beautiful. Why? Because she knows that, she's, that the Lord Jesus is there and she's like, hey, Lena, you ready to go? You ready to go home? I gave you 95 years, Lena, too, to worship me and praise me, and you did well. Come on home. Come on home. Right? Yea, though I walk through the valley. Listen, if Jesus doesn't come back for us, there's every one of us are going to walk through this valley. But it's not a valley that we should be scared. Why? I'm not going to fear any evil. If you ever get a, if you ever hear a, 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 a note or a Facebook post or anything that Pastor Ben died, don't believe him. I just moved. I just moved. Why? Jesus said, your time's up. Let's go. Let's go. And that brings peace, guys. That brings peace. He's going to guide us and he's going to lead us. Notice he says, you prepare, verse 5, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over and then he says this notice surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life all the days of my what yeah you know what peace that trust is going to allow you to have goodness and mercy to follow you do you believe that see partial trust is you're doing this lord i hope i hope i hope my life works out i hope it's this no jump in Jump in completely. God, listen, I have had, I've had this idol. I've, I've, I've had partial trust. Whatever the case may be, here's what. This is why I entitled this message, Come Home. Please come home. Because a lot of us are still wandering and we're not living lives that are victorious. We're living lives that are scared and abandoned and we don't know what God's going to do. And we just, we've been hurt and there's a lot of scars. And God goes, I had nothing to do with that, but I'm right here and I want to restore you and I want you to come home. And when you come home and when you get it, he says this, the Lord is my shepherd. What is that? That's relationship. That's relationship. 
He says, I shall not want. No anxiety, no worry, that's supply. He gives me everything you need, everything I need. Everything I want, church. Everything I need. And sometimes we've taken that word blessing and we've distorted it to mean all material goods. And I'll tell you what, I don't want material goods. I'd rather have peace in my home and in my heart and in the church. And, in, and I, and I want to see peace in your heart and in your eyes. He makes me lie down in green pastures. That's rest. How many of you are resting tonight? How many of you are truly resting in him? He leads me beside still waters. That's refreshment. Ah. I'm dating myself, but it reminds me of the nesty plunge. That's refreshment. That's ah. Feels good. He restoreth my soul. That's healing. How many of us need healing? See, we're, there's so many of us that are walking around broken and need healing, and we don't come to our shepherd who is the one that can heal. He leads me in path of righteousness. That's guidance. Who's leading? He's leading. For his namesake, that's purpose. That's purpose. His namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that's testing. And you've heard it, and it's almost commonplace and cliche, but you cannot have a testimony without testing. That's where we get testimony is testing. I'm sitting here thinking that I think Nathalie and I could testify to that a little bit. In the past couple of years, we walked through the valley of the shadow. of I mean, it was upon us. And God is good. And I don't understand his ways, but I know he's good. And he says, I will fear no evil. That's protection. For thou art with me, that's faithfulness. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You know what that is, church? That's discipline. And I love that. And you go, why? Because the Bible says that he only chastised those he loves. So if you're getting spanked by God, that's a good thing. He loves you. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That's hope. That's hope. He anointeth my head with oil. That's consecration. My cup runneth over. That's abundance. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That's blessing. You ready? Last two. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord. That's security. Forever and ever. That's eternity. So let me say this to you. The Lord's crazy about you. What is most valuable is not what we have in our lives, but who we have in our lives. So if you're here tonight and you go, man, Ben, I've only been partially trusting the Lord, then I would encourage you, go, Lord, I surrender all tonight. All of it. It's yours. It's yours. I surrender. I want to fully trust you so that I can say in verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I don't need anything. I've got Jesus. And I got all the benefits. I got all the benefits. Amen.
Father, thank you for your word, Lord, and the truth in Psalm 23. And Father, I get it that we can, we can dig even deeper and learn more. But Lord, this is one aspect, and I believe, God, just like, like if we truly understand and we truly trust you and we haven't been hurt by the pains of other things in our lives, then, God, we can walk in wholeness and fruitfulness. Thank you, Lord. We pray that this teaching and this message would go forth, God, and bless and convict and bring people home. And our prayer, God, is that we would come home, home to rest, home for good. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.